0: you are listening to Why Can't We Have It All, a podcast focused on exploring the missing pieces in our healthcare system. This podcast is sponsored by Bowtime Medical, an innovative healthcare company that offers integrated virtual healthcare designed to
1: keep you in control of your health and what you spend on it while lowering the cost of healthcare for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Why Can't We Have It All? I'm your host, Dr. Danish in today's show, we will focus on the topic of unnecessary care in our healthcare system. For this episode, I have asked the guest to help to discuss the topic with me. My guest, Kristen, is a nurse who has worked in several healthcare facilities over the years and is an informed consumer of healthcare. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you. Coronavirus has imposed a germ war on our humanity, the impact of which has not yet been fully realized. However, like any other major wars, undoubtedly there will be some revealing lessons learned from this germ war. As healthcare is one of the most affected segments of our society uh, hit by uh, COVID-19, the current system of healthcare delivery uh, which is mostly a hospital controlled delivery system has had the following short-term reactions uh, to this pandemic. 1. The hospitals stop performing elective surgical cases for non-urgent needs. 2. The outpatient facilities of hospitals including doctors uh, offices stop seeing people for routine and primary care needs. And 3. The available resources were focused on necessary services only, including taking care of uh, patients with COVID-19. Perhaps the most revealing response, however, was that hospitals were unable to provide any meaningful services for the public health needs related to the pandemic for the population who were locked down at their homes. As a result, the critical issue of testing for covid 19 were mostly handled by state and local public health facilities. And this was later uh, picked up by pharmacy chains such as Rite Aid uh, in our region, Walgreens and CVS and others. So the net effect of these reactions was that up to 50 percent of the hospital operations have been closed for several weeks. And the hospital-controlled healthcare uh, system has been unable to respond to the primary and routine needs of the population in their communities. Kristen and I live in Northeast Ohio, where four major nonprofit hospital-controlled healthcare systems with annual revenues ranging from $1 to $8 billion compete with one another for the business of sick care for a total collective revenue of $14 billion a year, serving a population of 4 million. There are other people who come from out of a state and so forth, but the primary base population of this region is about 4 million. Although it may be too early to give answers to the question of what is the impact of closing down uh, 50% of the hospital's operations on the health of those communities, but the question is definitely a timely one. As significant research published in the past two decades points out to overwhelming amount of unnecessary care in the form of overutilization, overuse, overprescriptions and overtreatment in our healthcare system. This topic is both timely and important and relevant to our podcast intentions as healthcare in the United States is the most expensive one in the world both by total amount and by the percentage of gross uh, domestic product, and yet falls short of serving the public health needs of its population during this pandemic. Several lines of research from different independent organizations have indicated that amount of unnecessary healthcare in the United States accounts for at least one-third of healthcare spending, which in today's dollars will translate to $1.3 trillion per year. Historically, a similar question has been asked when doctors or hospitals went on a strike over the past century or so. As the survey shows, that an average of five to eight hospital and doctors' strikes have occurred per year during the 20th and 21st century. Although the majority of those strikes were to improve working conditions for the doctors, increase their level of pay and related issues, the overwhelming review of those strikes showed that the health of the communities in which the strikes took place did not worsen, and actually, in some cases, actually improved. The term unnecessary care has been used following a line of research started by Dr. Jack Wenberg, who used the term unwarranted variation in healthcare spending a few years after the enactment of Medicare. Dr. Wenberg, at that point a young assistant professor, he did the research which showed different rates of treatments and cost of treatment based on where people lived and not based on the clinical rationale of their diagnosis. Dr. Winberg, in a series of studies that began in 1967, again, 65 was when Medicare was enacted and 67 when the data started coming in, and he published them in 70s and 80s, showed that the basic premise that medicine was driven by science and by physicians capable of making clinical decisions based on medical evidence was simply incompatible with his data, with his findings. Dr. Weinberg later formed a larger group of researchers at Dartmouth Institute of uh, Health Policy that continues to today to investigate and publish on the topic of unnecessary care and variations in delivered care. That group has uh, provided the majority of their uh, publications and research in the Dartmouth Atlas of Healthcare uh, that public could use. In 2003, Dr. Fisher, another member of the group, concluded that up to 30% of Medicare spending could have been cut in that year without harming patients. When care is overused, Patients are put at risk of unnecessary complications. Harm to patients from overuse of surgeries and other treatments is well documented. In 2008, uh, bioethicist Ezekiel Emanuel and a health economist Victor Foch define unnecessary care as overutilization. And further research showed that unnecessary care, which shows no demonstrable benefits to patients, might represent 30% of U.S. medical care. In 2012, the American College of Physicians, Ethics, Professionalism, and Human Rights Committee suggested that overtreatment can also be understood in contrast to parsimonious care, defined as a care that utilizes the most efficient means to effectively diagnose a condition and treat a patient. In 2012, Dr. Don Berwick uh, from the Institute of Healthcare Improvement, in collaboration with the RAND Corporation, defined overtreatment as subjecting patients to care that, according to sound science and patients' preferences, cannot possibly help them. This is the care rooted in outmoded habits, supply-driven behaviors, and ignoring science.
0: Dr. Donish Gary, I have a question. I'm wondering if you can explain what some of the causes are of unnecessary care in the United States.
1: That's a very good question, uh, Kristen. A number of causes have been studied and attributed. Uh, I will present the causes in order of importance of their role on unnecessary care and how they relate to both utilization, overutilization, and increased costs of those services. The first issue is the hospital controlled healthcare system. As we discussed in an earlier session of this podcast, the hospitals have moved from the charity houses of the late 19th century into becoming large financial institutions. That their primary target has become their financial performances otherwise they won't survive and those hospitals have learned that they need to recruit the majority of the physicians especially primary care physicians uh, because they're the one who refer the patients to specialists and to the mothership of the hospitals in those communities the incentive of doing more unnecessary care is serving those financial institutions who frankly have no boundaries or cap on utilization and how much they can charge for their services. That is the number one issue that the research shows and I agree with it. Number two issue is the concept of a third party payment system. We discussed this in an earlier episode Uh, under the title of Why Your Employer Doesn't Buy Your House and Your Car and Shouldn't Buy Your Health Insurance. In the U.S., a system exists in which health insurance covers expenses and doctors are paid under a fee-for-service model. Uh, You hear this probably commonly, uh, Kristen, the fee-for-service model. That system has neither an incentive nor a deterrent to consider the cost of treatment. 1992, Dr. Atul Gwandi, uh, a surgeon scientist and an author, reviewed the cost of the healthcare in McAllen, Texas, and he wrote, as America struggles to extend healthcare coverage while curbing healthcare costs, we face a decision that is more important than whether we would have a public insurance option, more important than we will have a single payer system or a mixture of public and private insurance. And he implied in that article the more important decision is whether we are going to revise the system to become a more cost efficient healthcare delivery system. Does that make sense to you, Kristen? Yes, it does. Thank you. The the result of those two elements uh, leads to the third uh, component uh, that is, the consumer of the healthcare, you and I, the individuals in, in the United States. We are not a customer of healthcare. The existence of a third party payer system, largely sponsored by our employers and the federal government, depending on how old we are, over the past 80 to 90 years has prevented us Americans from becoming savvy customers of healthcare, which means shopping for better prices versus better qualities. As we do in other parts of our economy. The Trump administration has stated that 90% of our healthcare services are shoppable. The lack of a customer in a marketplace is the single most important missing piece in the current American healthcare system of multiple payers and multiple providers. Some publications have referred to medical malpractice laws and defensive medicine. Although the concept of physicians protecting themselves from legal uh, problems has been mentioned as a cause of overutilization, but the studies, multiple studies, have shown that the pattern of practice only contributes to less than 1 to 2 percent of spending on healthcare. The other factor that has been mentioned uh, is the direct-to-consumer advertising, such as ads in TV, radio, magazines, etc., that encourages patients to ask for drugs, devices, diagnostic tests, and procedures, whether they are needed or not.
0: Dr. Donish Gary, I'm wondering if you can give some examples of what healthcare services are the subject of o- overutilization, and does that apply to every service that we use in healthcare?
1: Well, that is a very tough question, Kristen, uh, because it really dissects out the guts of our healthcare system, um, and probably I would prefer to discuss. Uh, details of the answer to that question in another session or several sessions. But to answer your questions here, um, there are a number of uh, services that are included in most uh, studies, uh, published studies. The list includes elective procedures like endoscopies and so forth, imaging uh studies, x-rays, CTs, and MRIs, surgical procedures like radical prostatectomies, the uh, open heart surgeries, antibiotic uses, laboratory tests, and uh, screening for uh, conditions in patients who don't need them.
0: What I'm wondering now is about efforts on the part of regulatory agencies and doctors, um, even patients, To reduce unnecessary care. And something, a story that I wanted to relate was um, as a nurse, but also as a mom, when I took our son to a pediatrician when he had an ear infection, I expected her to prescribe antibiotics. And she had spent time in Europe, which had informed her about other ways of providing care to children. She explained to me how the huge majority of ear infections in children were caused by viruses, which uh, would self-resolve because antibiotics play no role there, and that if it went beyond three days, then it probably wasn't a virus, that it would self-resolve. So she refused to prescribe an antibiotic for him, which honestly thrilled me because I know what overuse of antibiotics can do. So I'm just wondering what kind of efforts are out there to reduce unnecessary care.
1: Yes, that is a great example of an inappropriate use of antibiotics. Uh, There have been some efforts over the past uh, one or two decades uh, to address the issue at the system level. Although the Patient Protection and Affordability Act, uh, Obamacare, uh, which was the largest uh, change in our healthcare system since 1965, did not contain any serious uh, strategies to reduce overuse to increase the public awareness toward uh, overutilization. Actually, the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation has begun the Choosing Wisely campaign, which aims to raise awareness of the overtreatment uh, for the public. However, we've experienced some backlashes here too. You may have heard the term utilization, review, and management. Uh, These are the efforts that were uh, started in 1990s, and most insurance companies started using them to review uh, the needs for the procedure, diagnostic tests, and so forth. And the hope was that to change the physician's behaviors, physician's ordering behaviors. However, most of those attempts uh, received unfavorable reviews by both patients and doctors, who viewed utilization review as a perverse incentive on the side of payers, the insurance companies, to find ways to deny coverage. In many cases, practicing physicians were not the ones leading the utilization reviews, meaning the reviews were lacking real world clinical insight and wisdom. Dr. Atul Gwandi um, a surgeon scientist that I introduced earlier, who last year was named as the CEO of a healthcare company started by Amazon, Chase Bank, and Berkshire, said in a New Yorker article called Overkill that an avalanche of unnecessary medical care is harming patients physically and financially. What can we do about it? He proposed the question that almost every family in the country has been a subject to overtesting and overtreatment. Dr. Gilbert Welch, a Dartmouth professor and an expert on overdiagnosis, in his book titled Less Medicine, More Health, explores the phenomenon of the overutilization of diagnostic procedures and over-treatment by pointing to seven predispositions by doctors and the public, attempting to downplay a risk without considering how small or unlikely the potential benefit is, attempting to fix an underlying problem instead of using a less risky monitoring uh, strategy, acting too quickly when waiting for more information might be wiser, acting without considering the benefits of doing nothing, called watchful waiting, discounting the downsides of diagnostic testing, preferring newer over older treatments without considering the cost of new treatments or the effectiveness of the older ones, and treating patients with terminal illnesses to maximize lifespan over quality of life without discerning a patient's preferences. Dr. Guandi has called this finding out what matters to patients versus what is the matter with patients.
0: So you've described several attempts to improve understanding the situation of unnecessary care in our health care system. But I'm wondering if there's any evidence that this trend of unnecessary care that is actually supported by not only doctors and hospitals, but by us as healthcare consumers, wondering if this trend is going to slow down?
1: Well, unfortunately not until we as the healthcare consumers realize the burden of unnecessary care on our physical and financial well beings. That is why we use the opportunity created by COVID nineteen, during which uh, nearly fifty percent of the hospital operations uh, stopped, as a time to propose the question of overutilization of our healthcare systems. There is no question that hospitals are an important part of the fabric of our society. In many cases, the largest employers in our uh, communities. So one could argue those 50% extra work contributes to employment of those communities. However, the question is who suffers most from overutilization and unnecessary care directed by the same hospitals. I believe it is the health of all of us who suffers the most. To give you a more direct answer, I think start of some of the initiatives, uh, some political and some economic market-driven uh, initiatives would help uh, the trend on reduction of the unnecessary care. The first and perhaps the most important initiative is when the employers would pass on the money they use to purchase our health insurance to us as employees. So we could buy the benefits packages and pay for healthcare services directly. Very similar to the transition that took place in 70s in pension plans, where now we control and direct our individual retirement accounts. This initiative will push the consumer of healthcare, you and I, to a position of customer where we as employees are empowered to choose quality versus price of the healthcare services or the benefit package that are offered by the insurance companies based on the stage of our lives and based on our abilities to gather information and choose. Again, very similar to what we do for the rest of our needs in our lives. I think the above two initiatives would give a significant boost to the existing trend in price transparency uh, that has already begun. And these trends, if continue, would uh, create emergence of healthcare advisors who are financially aligned with the new empowered employee or the customer to help them, to help you and I, to make the right decision in the complex healthcare market. Again, this process happened in the financial market uh, during the transition of the pension plans from a defined benefit to defined contribution, where the former bankers with professional knowledge of the financial markets became financial advisors to the IRA holders, to the consumers, to the individual, and firms like Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, and others were created. Similar to that transition, this may be a response to the argument that reduction of unnecessary care on hospitals' behalf would lead to loss of jobs in those communities, whereas completion of these initiatives would recreate jobs for people in healthcare who could now work as the aligned advisors to the empowered customer. Last but not least, I'd like to mention that several surveys indicate that doctors do welcome these changes as it seems that they are the other victim of the system as their primary job has become to support the financial goals of multi-billion dollar financial institutions called hospitals and less on the well-being of their patients. With that, I'm afraid that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Christian, for joining me to explore the topic.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: It was my pleasure. I'm your host, Dr. Donish Gary. Until the next episode, stay safe and be well. You've been
0: listening to Why Can't We Have It All: The Missing Pieces in Our Healthcare. This podcast is brought to you by Bowtie Medical. Visit us on the web at www.wcwha.com, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and send all your questions and comments to info at wcwha.com. Again, that's info at wcwha.com.